0: Welcome to the Variety Hour, where local leaders talk Memphis.
1: Listen to you move your mouth, I bet you come way downside. Now don't tell me, let me guess, you from the town that I love best. Talk Memphis, I wish you would. Talk Memphis, you sound so good. Talk Memphis, high on the bluff, I swear I can't.
0: to talk money and now here's your host jim shoemaker
2: and welcome to talk money thanks for joining us this morning here's a question that a lot of people ask us today can't hear all the time. Should I be stressing out about all this recession talk? Well, let me say this. If I could devise a system that would accurately predict the onset of every recession or economic crisis, I probably would not be doing radio today. I would simply be sitting on some island somewhere saying, "Show me the money." But I can't do that. But the truth is, nobody can actually forecast what a recession will hit. So although we there are some leading indicators that, that investors and economists look at when trying to predict economic activity, we need to look at what you need to know. While you may have heard about the yield curve inverting, there are other indicators that you need to be aware of. Unemployment figures, housing prices, housing starts, construction rates, interest rates, and manufacturing supply demands, and, of course, the all-important Consumer Confidence Index. These numbers, to a lot of people, appear not to indicate a recession. Then why all the noise? Well, I have two people in the studio with me today that spent a lot of their time looking at the numbers, and they're going to help us understand why a recession, which is a drop in the GDP for at least two consecutive quarters, is a part of the ebb-and-flow Of finance. Scott Jordan and Drew Johnson will help us understand that the nature of each recession is different and unpredictable. There will be, we're going to discuss with them as they go through this with us some investment strategies and some portfolio construction ideas and answer your question Should I be stressing out? about all this recession talk. You don't want to miss these guys. From our Did You Know files. Now, this is a thing we always talk about. Here's a thought. Did you know the S&P 500 is up 19.6%? That's a total return through close of last Friday. That's last of last Friday. But the only thing that I want you to be aware of is it's only up 1.1% since the end of July. Excuse me, since the end of April. Just moving sideways and a lot of volatility. And remember, you cannot invest in an index, not a whole lot going on with the market, just moving one way, not doing much. But here's a question that a lot of people are hearing today, a lot of noise in the media about impeachment of a president. And does impeachment of a president have a positive or negative effect in the market? the media would like for you to think that this would have a big you know would have a big effect and it seemed like they want you to know that two us presidents in history were impeached by the by the house but later acquitted by the senate and that would be andrew johnson in 1868 and bill clinton in 1998 of course you know richard nixon in the 1974 would have been impeached by both the house and the senate but he elected to resign That's a history lesson from Congress. But to answer the question, does impeachment of a president have a negative or a positive effect on the market? In the year following Richard Nixon's 1974 resignation as president, the S&P 500 gained 6.4%. In the year following Bill Clinton's 1998 impeachment by the House, the S&P 500 gained 19.6%. I'm not sure exactly what the, how to interpret the numbers since one president was a Republican and the other was a Democrat. But remember, always remember, past performance is not an indicator of future performance. If you have questions for Talk Money, send them to Talk Money at Shoemaker Financial. To find today's program on podcast or past programs, go to iTunes and search for Shoemaker Financial. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Coming up, Scott Jordan and Drew Johnson. Should I be stressed out about all the noise about a recession? They will help us understand the portfolio construction and develop an investment strategy. I'm Jim Shoemaker, and you're listening to The Voice, KWAM 990 and FM 107.9. This is Talk Money.
1: Podcasts of Talk Money are available in the iTunes Store. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with more Talk Money after
0: this. Jim Shoemaker, Drew Johnson, and Scott Jordan are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Security and Financial Services, Inc., securities dealer, member FNIRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated.
1: And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker.
2: Well, we're talking with Scott Jordan and Drew Johnson today, and they're both in the studio with us. And, of course, the big question is, should I be stressing out about all this recession talk? So, guys, Scott, welcome to the program. Drew, welcome to the program.
3: Thanks for having me, Jim. Thanks for having me, Jim.
2: Well, let me start with you, Drew, because this question, should I be stressing out about all the recession talk, the media? I mean, the impeachment of a president, China, the trade wars, recession, recession, recession. Should I be worried about that?
4: Well, there's always a short answer and a a long answer to any kind of question like that. I mean, some of this goes back to recency bias. There's a lot of uncertainty in the air, uh, but there's always a lot of uncertainty in the air. With 2008, uh, it was bad. Uh, Unemployment went really high. The stock market didn't do very well during that recession, but it also bounced back. It was a unique event. Uh, The question we really have to ask, though, is how did 2008 specifically affect you? Did you lose your job? Did you lose money? Did you have to delay retirement? What were the things about 2008 that negatively impacted you? We know the answer to that question. Then we can kind of help go to the next step of planning for when it happens next time.
2: that's That's a great thought. You immediately went back to the last recession that we had. I mean, I asked the question, should we be concerned about all the talk in the media about recession? And I think you went back to the one in. 2008 which by the way is still on everybody's mind even though we're now in the longest bull market that we've had in the history of this country and a long expansion unemployment as low as it's you know it's ever been i mean you know scott what are your thoughts well i i
3: think first of all jim i'd say it's it's hard for people not to get a little emotional especially with the way the media hypes things up and kind of creates that fear in people but i think Keeping that longer-term perspective and thinking, okay, yeah, short-term, I may be affected by this, but how does this affect me long-term? And keeping that long-term perspective would be the key to not getting so stressed out about things like recessions. Recessions happen. We know they're going to come. Economic cycles are normal, so it's just a problem of— I mean, a, a an idea of having a disciplined process in place and knowing what you're going to do in that situation can help reduce that stress.
2: Well, I said in the monologue that you guys spend a lot of time looking at numbers, and you know, you, you we try to look at this idea behind a recession. The recession of being, let me define it again, as a drop in the GDP of at least two successive quarters. But the market usually is down pretty good, a pretty good bit before we see the actual two consecutive quarters. And so that's a problem, and yet we all have to say to everybody, and you would say it to me and we all say it to each other, that a recession or the economy is the – a recession is the natural ebb and flow of the market, I mean, of of the finance, and we can't get caught up into it. But, Drew, you mentioned 2008. 2008 is in everybody's mind that was, you know, investing at the time, as you said, preparing for retirement or whatever and all right. those things like that. So. If you think that way, if we all get into that that thought process, can you give me an indication? I mean, the whole question is everybody saying, okay, I've heard about recession. It's all this talk. It's all this noise. Will it happen again? And when do you see it happening again?
4: Well, when you try when you're looking at the different leading indicators, there are a lot of leading indicators out there, and they're not they're not uniform. Some of them are concerning, some of them are not so concerning. And trying to put an exact date on it, or even a, a generic date on when you think one's going to happen, is kind of like looking around, you know, looking at a mountain, and and you you think, okay, well, there's there are clouds around the corner. Clouds usually bring rain, but I can't tell you from that when it's going to start raining. Um, you can't. Uh, you can't take those indicators and then put a clock on them with any kind of precision. um all you get is there's a probability that it'll happen with this amount of time or that amount of time, but you don't really know for sure and so there there is no way to predict with certainty when a recession is going to happen or even if it's going to happen within a certain time frame we just well, can't know that
2: i had mentioned in the monologue again that i mean if i could predict that i wouldn't be doing radio I absolutely mean, that's the right line i mean I'd right. be sitting on an island someplace and saying send me the money so we have to understand with that in mind if i can't predict it i guess scott what what do you what do you say to someone when you hear the noise on the media and it, it seems like they're pounding the drum uh you know I had someone tell me the other day that just said why don't we just go ahead and have one and get it over with and move on to the right, next. Right. I mean you know what I'm saying right. so what do you say to the person listening in the studio and that would listen to us today this is an issue it seems like it's a cloud you mentioned that drew that it kind of hangs over us but it's it is there's some indication right now that we don't see that. A lot of economists don't say that we're going to have a recession in 2020. No, probably not. 2021, maybe. I read something the other day where they go out to 2023. But I think that's getting way out too far. What's your thoughts?
3: Well, I think I think Drew said it well. You know, our economy is resilient, cyclical, and unpredictable. I don't think anybody can with any accuracy predict when the next recession's coming. I think the, the better long-term view to have around that is what am I going to do about the fact that, yeah, we're going to go through a recession. You know, and that goes back to plan for it, expect that we're going to have downturns and have a disciplined process in place and know how you're going to react to that. Because making long-term decisions— Based on short term economic conditions is rarely a good idea
2: well, I think I've read somewhere where people will in their lifetime go through eleven twelve recessions, yeah. Yeah. and that's just going be just going to be in part of the part of the natural process, yeah. and we just talk about that all right, with that in mind, if we say I'm you know a recession, it's not you know if it's going to happen, it's when it's going to happen. We know a recession's coming, so get it off the table. What do we do? Here's what I'm asking you, Drew. As I it works, you sit on our investment committee. Scott, you sit on the investment committee. You know, we've got a lot that, that you guys do. As I said it earlier, you'd spend a lot of time looking at the numbers, a lot of time trying to think through that. But Drew, I know we don't try to predict the future. Therefore, we don't try to time the market. Help me understand why we don't do that.
4: Well, you can't do it with any kind of accuracy, and you, it's it's ultimately it's not one decision when to when to get out of the market. That's 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 one part of it, but when you get out, you also have to know when to get back in, and in some ways, that's the more treacherous decision. A lot of people, when they get out, they wait too late to get back in, and they they give up a lot of the a lot of the upside in in the process. Uh, what we do is is try and figure out with with the with the help of the client. Okay, what are your specific needs? What are your income needs? How much volatility can you handle? And then we plan around that through various investing tools that are time-tested principles, asset allocation and diversification and so forth that are tailored to that client's needs. I
2: want to talk more about that later on in the program. Drew, you do an enormous amount of research. So give me your take right now, just as you – and this is kind of off the cuff, and I just want to – because I know you're prepared to do this just because of who you are – China, everybody has got China on the mind. So, in your take, what do you see China? How does it impact us? And will we get some kind of a agreement, trade a trade agreement with China in the next in my lifetime?
4: Oh, in 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 your in your lifetime, I I, I think so. Um, I mean, China has has kind of fast-tracked a couple of steps in terms of its overall development and industrialization industrialization, that in Western countries was a much, much longer process. And China is kind of crashing through that process. And so it's going to be painful, I think, for them, and it's going to be painful for some of their trading partners. I don't know in terms of the immediate future what to expect, um, but generally history shows that it's very hard to introduce Uh, economic freedoms into a society without at some some point that giving way to political freedoms. Uh, A politically more open and free China will also be a friendlier China, a China that's easier for us to deal with, uh, and a a friendlier, more democratic China, should that come about in our lifetimes, and I hope that it does, uh, would resolve a lot of other problems for us as well, like Hong Kong, like North Korea. Um, like Taiwan and so forth. And so overall, I'm optimistic about the longer term future. uh, But just because of the way that they have developed as a society uh, since 1949, I think it's going to be a bit of a bumpy road in the short term getting there.
2: Do you think this president that is pushing for a a better trade agreement, is is this the proper time to do that? that, Because a lot of people talk about that.
4: If, if this isn't the proper time for it, then the proper time would have been even sooner. There have been abuses in the system that have been going on for a long time, and they need to be addressed one way or the other. Um, and I I, I I don't have any problem with, with using those – with us using those tools to try and bring the Chinese back to the table and say, okay, how can we – address these concerns, but still preserve this relationship, which is what I think he's trying to do.
2: Well, Drew, when when we go back to 2008 and we go back to recession, to talk about recession, two downturns of the GDP, our GDP is currently Doing quite well. I mean, right. you know, we're, not, uh, we've, we're moving along. There's a lot of growth in the country. Unemployment is down. Housing starts is up. We did see a tick down somewhat on the supply, you know, the right. manufacturers. Manufacturing right. attraction. But right. let, me, let me ask you this. When we, jumping from China, cross the pond again over to Europe. Europe seems to be anything but robust at this point.
4: Right. I mean, you've got negative interest rates in a lot of the the major eurozone economies, specifically Germany. Uh, I mean, that's kind of one of those things where the that yield curve is actually positive, but but all of the yields are negative. It's one of those odd phenomena. Um and that that just kind of points to when we talk about the risk in an economy and risk in a, in a portfolio, uh, it it baffles me that there's been this great move into longer-term negative yielding debt. I just don't see why anybody would want to own that. Uh, but demand for uh, sovereign high-quality debt that actually has negative yields has been a, lo- a large part of what's contributed to the bull market and bonds for this year so far Um but that's going to be a that's going to bring in some liquidity risk into the system later on cuz people are eventually going to want to sell those bonds and who's going to want to buy a negative a negative yield long-term bond and lock up their money for that long to get a negative return
2: that's going to be an issue that we have to deal with exactly so, again but when you think about it when you're looking at quality you you know the US today still becomes the beacon across the world as the as a as a non, even though we may consider ourselves a a volatile nation we're not when we compare it to the rest of the world.
4: No, and when you talk about negative yields like that, that can be abstract to to, to a lot of people. But I mean, ultimately, a real yield is is a, a sense of where you think growth is headed in that country. So if you've got a negative real yield uh, in a country in a prevailing in a country, that's telling you that the investors in that country are expecting negative growth in that country, and that's never a good thing.
2: So so here's what I'm hearing, and Drew, you do it so profoundly and so clearly, I think, and it's very. I appreciate how you do this. And Scott, I want to lean in with you, but with Drew's comments as we listen to him and we think about what he's saying to us, I mean, I sense some degree of optimism. Mm-hmm. I think it's legitimate that this is good, this is good, or whatever. And then there's that sense of, on the other side, some pessimism, some realistic look at what's going on. So here's my question as the investor, as someone listening today, you know, you get confused. You hear about impeachment. You hear about trade wars. You hear about lowering of interest rates. You hear about the president battling with the Fed chair. I mean, all of this media noise, that just keeps pounding and pounding and pounding. I mean, at some point in time, you go, what do I do? Help me understand what you would do today. If we we're going to construct a portfolio, an investment or a portfolio, what would you consider to be the overall the importance of doing that? What are, we, what are we trying to do?
3: Well, I think first you have to back up and get a lot of clarity around what you're trying to accomplish. You know, when we start with a client, we want to sit down and understand clearly what are, what are their goals? What are their long-term goals? What is the purpose of this money? I think that is critical that some people – Don't think through enough because that is what allows you to develop that discipline strategy of knowing you can construct a portfolio that's going to give you a high probability of getting the returns you need. So it's starting by having that conversation around what are those long-term goals? You know, is it financial independence? Are we trying to educate kids? Are we paying down debt? Are we trying to start a business? What are those long-term goals? What are we trying to accomplish with this money? And then we can start to sit down, you know, and get focused on a strategy. So we get clear. We want to get focused around a strategy. that's going to give us a nice probability of hitting those returns that we need. And then we want to get going. We want to implement that strategy and have that discipline process in place too. And I think you have to start there, Jim, because if you don't, then you have a better likelihood that you're going to buy into a lot of that short-term media noise and get off of your discipline strategy and make decisions. Like I said, make those short-term you know, knee-jerk reaction decisions that really affect your long-term probability of hitting your goals.
4: And once you get into talking about those kind of particulars, talking about things like future recessions really fades into the background. Because recessions don't last all that long compared to expansions. And so when you're talking about recession, you're not talking about the next 10 years or the next two years. Or, you know, for the most part, you're thinking in terms of expansion in the future. And so a lot of that really fades into the background when you're talking about, what do I need this portfolio to be doing for me 30 years from now? Right. Absolutely.
2: Guys, you all say that as if it just rolls off your tongue, like you've said it before. And so my point being is, let me play a little bit of that devil's advocate here. Sure, I hear you. I understand what you're saying. But the problem I have with that is I can't afford to go through a downturn that shows me 20, 30, 40% of my portfolio just evaporating. Tell me what I'm supposed to do. I mean, you talk about a strategy. I tell you what, let's take a break. And I want to come back because here's, guys, this is critical for us. I think the person listening to the show, listening to what we're talking about, here you talk about, Drew, some some optimism. Yeah, I think you, you're very good. And some, you know, pessimism, some reality. It's kind of a reality check that the market ebbs and flows. A recession is just a natural part of what the economy does, of, what, of finance. We talk about Powell, we talk about China, we talk about Europe. All of that seems to be thrown in this huge basket, a cornucopia of just, here it is. But then how do we manage it? Scott, you talk about a strategy. But the minute that that strategy seems to be shaking, I get nervous, like everybody else does. I want you to be able to tell us what to do. Because, guys, Absolutely. this, at the end of the day, it makes is where the rubber meets the road. Because all of us are hearing the noise. Recession is coming. Recession is coming. It's kind of like the Paul Revere, you know. The the, the Brits are coming. Old North
4: Church. Yeah, (laughs) right.
2: And that's a different thing. And so why is it that people are pounding the drum, and what are we to do about it? Got it? Got it. Got it. All right. Stay with us, because when we come back, I want to get these answers from these guys. And I tell you what, they're smart people. They know kind of what's going on. Stay with us. I'm Jim Shoemaker, and you're listening to Talk Money.
1: Be sure to like us on Facebook. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this.
0: This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information is not investment advice or a recommendation. And now, back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker.
2: While well, I'm talking with Drew Johnson and Scott Jordan, we're talking about Portfolio construction, knowing your investment strategy, why would I be stressing out about all this recession talk if I had a good investment strategy, if I had a good portfolio that had been constructed with my strategy and my whole idea in place? Why would I be stressing out? Well, the media pounds the table. It just keeps pounding and pounding and pounding. We know that's a problem. We understand that's a problem. You've asked the question, should I be stressing out about all the recession talk? Well, I think what we're trying to share with you is it's okay to stress. But the reality is it's not healthy. And why should you if you put some things to, in place to weather the storm? Drew said it earlier, most recessions are very short. In fact, all recessions are short compared to expansions. We're in the longest expansion in, in, in 50 years. We're in the longest bull market in history. I mean, bottom line is there's a lot of things going on, but the media keeps talking about recession. Scott, I'm going to go to you because I want to talk about risk tolerance. I know we, we want to get into the emotional side in a minute, but risk tolerance has a lot to do with emotion. If I am, you know, a gunslinger type personality, you know, risk doesn't seem to be a problem. But if I am the, you know, person who just holds everything close, risk is a big issue. A huge issue. And so a lot of people struggle with it. So talk about some of the ways that we need to understand the types of risk.
3: Well, I think, I mean, you bring up a good point, Jim. You, you said before the break, talking about how, you know, I, I understand all y'all are saying, but I can't tolerate these big downturns. And that's that's why when we get ready to sit down, you know, first of all, we're, we're looking at what we're trying to accomplish. We're getting focused on what we need to do. But then we have to look at how much risk tolerance does a client have? You know, we want to try to gauge how they're going to react to those swings in the market because we know they're coming. And we need to make sure that we have somebody positioned right to where they can make sure their investments remain investments. Because, you know, again, you said it. The media is going to be pounding the table. Everything's going to be coming at you, saying the world's coming to an end. So having that – understanding that risk tolerance. And we go over this a lot with clients. We want to point out those bad cases or those worst-case scenarios so that they understand that what we're putting them in, what the reality is, that they're going to have to go through some downturns to get that long-term. So – Focusing in on that risk tolerance. But now, again, you you bring up a good point about types of risk. So, you know, we're talking really about market risk or interest rate risk there, maybe even political risk. But there's also the risk of not hitting your goals. So... Once we've gotten clear on those goals and getting focused, we can quantify about what we need to be earning on our money in order to accomplish those goals. So being too risk averse and not being able to earn that rate of return that we need to hit our goals is also a risk that has to be considered. So there's a lot of different types of risks that we have to look at when we're sitting down with a client.
2: Drew, when you're putting together a portfolio, making investment selections to go into a portfolio, do you, how do you manage risk when you're looking at it? Because you're putting, the, you know, what you're doing is all the research to decide, will this fund manager make the criteria both qualitative and qualitative that we say, yes, he can he can manage assets for us. But what about the risk for you? What do you look for
4: Well, I mean, we look for how consistent are that manager's returns. We don't just want to go after a a gunslinger who had one good year or two good years. Um, We don't want to pick out one that has had a ton of bad years. either. We want someone who is giving us consistent returns. But we also want to look at not just what individual funds or fund managers do, but if we take a basket of, of funds, we want to know how all of those different managers are going to work together in a portfolio. And that goes back into allocating it properly. Um, thinking of, of your bonds as kind of like your insurance in the portfolio. How much insurance do you, do you really need in a, in a portfolio? For some people, it's more. For people, it's less. And But when you're talking about risk, I think education helps a lot with that, too. I mean, there's a, you, you, every time you step in a car, there's a big risk you're going to get into a car accident that day. Uh, but no one ever thinks about that. But then, when you're talking about something like impeachment, that's more like wondering if you're going to see Halley's common in your lifetime. It's just it's a different kind of expectation. It's a different kind of probability, and it's talking about a different amount of time in which you think it may or may not occur as well. And so, helping people to to know, okay, well, this is actually the more likely thing to happen, but but you're not worried about that. You're worried about these outlier scenarios. Helping them understand that, I think, can also help. Gear their expectations so that you come up with a plan that's really suitable uh, for them, so that their their future self doesn't end up becoming the enemy of their present self. Well, that's um, that's a great that point.
2: point. That's a great point. You, the way you said that, I like that because that kind of ties in, Scott, to what you were saying is the comprehensive investment strategy. Now, that's when I introduced the program. I talked about portfolio construction, but the strategy, the overall investment strategy, you talked about. What are your the goals, the you know what try what are you trying to do? You can't go into something blind and right. not just be just throwing stuff out there right. because then the emotions do take place. So let's go through some of the ideas with you talked about investment strategy, but help me with portfolio construction. What are you talking about there? Well, you
3: know, going back to that risk tolerance. So based on somebody's tolerance and capacity for risk, we start to look at asset allocation decisions. And in a nutshell, that's how much am I going to have in stocks versus bonds versus cash? So if I'm a high risk person? Probably more toward the equity or stock side. You know, a little less risk, we're going to add a little more bonds and cash in there to kind of temper that volatility a little bit. So
2: if I'm low risk, then you're talking about more bonds and cash, less equities. And that should be that should be based on my risk tolerance, and I should understand understand that not just do it it, but understand
3: it should be based on your risk tolerance but also what are what are you trying to accomplish right because it goes back to you know being too conservative i mean everybody if they're they're asked do they like market downturns i don't want any right i don't i don't want any down i want a high return with no market downturns and and I'll be great. My so, mother used
2: to say, "You want your cake and your ice cream you, and
4: the cherry on top, and, and eat all of it and have it too, <laughs>
3: right?" Safe so fight. it's
4: well, uh, it's a lot like talking about boats, right? I mean, all boats have to have some means of propulsion—an engine or sail or what have you—but they also have to have a rudder, right? And so, but a, but a boat isn't always a boat. Uh, do you want a speedboat or do you want a yacht? Um, and so, figuring out—I mean, if, if you've got a speedboat that doesn't have the ability to steer, that thing's going to crash at some point. Um, if you've got a, a yacht that doesn't have an engine or, or sails, uh, they're not going to be able to get out of the way when a storm approaches. And so you have to have some elements of both, but uh, both to take the analogy back to the investments, you have to have some of both, your, your equities for more of your, your speedboat type characteristics and your bonds for more of your yacht type characteristics. You have to have them both, but you have to have them in the right balance based on, I think, what you're saying, what the client's ultimately trying to do and what they want to do and what they feel comfortable doing. Right. Absolutely.
2: Well, I'm going to interrupt you because I'm going to take a break. When you come back, I want you to tell us about what type of asset allocation. You said 60-40 in cash or something like that. So help us go through that process. And then you talk a lot about diversification. Absolutely. I want to know what you mean by diversification. You just tuned in. My guests, Scott Jordan and True Johnson, we're talking about investment strategies Portfolio constructions where we are right now. Should I be stressed out about all this talk about a recession? Is that a problem? What is a recession? Well, we're finding out. We're going through that process. You've been listening. Stay with us because we're going to get into really how do you design your portfolio to weather a recession? It's not that hard. Stay with us. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to. Talk money. If
1: you have questions you'd like to have answered on the program, email them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this.
5: After Britain's defeat in the Revolutionary War, both Spain and the U.S. claimed much of the land east of the Mississippi River and maintained a network of frontier military bases along the Mississippi Bluff. Among the commanders of these bases were such figures as the famed explorers Meriwether Lewis and Zebulon Pike and the 12th President of the United States, Zachary Taylor. What is now downtown Memphis was a Spanish military outpost under the command of Manuel Gayoso. Until the American Army took over the site two years later, Gayoso's soldiers manned a fort and surrounding buildings where the pyramid stands today. Although the forts were later abandoned as the frontier moved further to the west, the legacies of the men who commanded them made a lasting imprint on our cultural heritage, including the names of our streets and landmarks. Those who walk Gayoso Avenue today trace the footsteps of some of our nation's most revered icons. This has been another Mid-South History Moment brought to you by Shoemaker Financial.
0: The S&P is an unmanaged index of 500 large cap stocks. Investors cannot invest in an index. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Investments will fluctuate and when redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested. And now back to Talk
1: Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker.
2: Scott Jordan and Drew Johnson are here today. We're talking specifically about what should you do if the recession comes tomorrow, next week, next year, Whatever. We know that a recession's coming, but well, we don't get caught up in all the rhetoric and the media talk and get caught up in this fear and, and not do what you need to be doing. You have goals and dreams. You're, tr- you're trying to get somewhere when you invest money. Well, these guys are here going through the process of helping us understand. Is 2008 going to be re- repetitive when we talk about recession? And eh, Drew says probably not. But the reality is, we don't know. There is no way. I mean, if I could devise a system that would accurately predict the onset of every recession and economic crisis, what did I say earlier? I probably would not be doing radio today. Just not going to happen. If I could do that, I would be on a beach someplace saying, show me the money. But that's not the case. Here's what I want you to understand. No single investment that you make, listen, no single investment works all the time. So you got to think about this subject that Scott's going to go through with us right now. He talked about managing risk, knowing what asset allocation was all about, 60, 40, 50, 50, stocks, bonds, and cash, allocating it according to your risk. But now he's going to talk about something that is also critically important, because no single investment works all the time. Scott?
3: I think what you're really alluding to there is diversification. We talked about asset allocation, how much we're going to have in stocks, how much we're going to have in bonds, how much we're going to have in cash. We're basing that off our tolerance for risk along with our goals we're trying to accomplish. And now we want to diversify. That simply means don't put all your eggs in one basket, spreading your investments across different categories in in order to diminish overall risk. Now, I always like to say this, Jim, diversification does not promise you the highest rate of returns or even guarantee a return. It is a risk management technique. I believe there's a verse in Ecclesiastics about this somewhere. This is not new, you know, spreading your portion to seven to eight because we don't know what's going to happen. And we, we believe that's a time-tested principle. Uh, you know, diversifying by, by manager type, by geography. You know, we want some international. We want some domestic. Uh, we're diversifying by timeline, especially on our bond side. We want some short term, some midterm, maybe some long term. So just spreading that money out across those different asset classes and how they work together can help us minimize some of that risk, some of that volatility.
2: Drew, when he talks about managing risk and managing volatility, I know from the investment committee, your objective is to go through this process as you're selecting managers is to come up with the best in class where you do the research and trying to – and that's a tough thing to do because – you're, you're, you said it earlier, you're not looking at just what they did the last 24 months or 36 months or whatever. You've got an enormous amount of things. I know, and I don't want to get into the weeds in this, but I want our listeners to understand the reality is this is not just, okay, you know, what's where's the wind coming from? Let's pick that guy or that lady. No, that's not you. You've got a series of real legitimate ways of looking at both quantitative and qualitative. Help us with that.
4: Right. I mean, one of the things that we look at that a lot of people don't really don't think about or talk about is when you're looking at a manager, how much of that manager's fund does the manager herself own? Um, I don't don't want to own a fund where the manager isn't invested in their own ideas or where their interests are not aligned with those of their own shareholders. I want to have a fund where there is a, a high level of management ownership of that fund. That's important. Um, I do want to look at expenses as well. Uh that expenses are important. And then I also want to look at the consistency of the return. And I also want to look at are they uh are they differing from their index at all? Are they uh are they truly active or are they just mirroring an index? All of those things are important with with what we look at to try and determine whether we want to invest money with a specific fund manager.
2: I appreciate the way you're saying that and, and, and Scott, you talk about this when you talked about risk a while ago. You're even looking at the manager when you're dealing with risk.
3: Yeah, we're looking at, you know, things like what are the what are they doing on their upside, downside capture, how much of the up market are, have they historically gotten versus how much of the downside, you know, managers do well either by capturing more of the upside or maybe limiting the downside. There's a lot of different strategies they can use to uh, to avoid risk or lower that volatility. And, you know, we get into some of those statistical terms like standard deviation and beta and how's this, how's this acting. But we're looking at risk. We want to really – because that goes, that goes with putting those assets together and how are they going to act together. So we want things that are going to work together in that portfolio.
4: And looking at the downside is really important, too, because that's – the the downside impact is disproportionate what i mean is if you've got a fund that drops 10% they don't get back to where they were by then gaining 10% they actually have to make a little bit over 11% in order to do that and so if i've got if i've got a fund that mirrors the index on the way up i'm okay with that if they lose less than the index on the way down Absolutely. i still i still come out ahead and so when we're looking at active managers we're not and we're talking about outperformance, people tend to think, "Oh, you, you want them to to do to do better than the index in a in a good year." Well, we'd like to see that, but that's not really the whole picture. We really want them to do better in the down year because that's where it really makes the most difference.
2: So when you say better in the down year, the S&P of the the indexes we look at, S&P, this, you know, the the Dow, things, Russell 1000, drops let's say 10 percent right you don't want your fund manager the guy that's in charge of the funds that we've selected for a client who was talking about building this allocation that that scott's in right now the allocation side you don't want him to be down 10 percent.
4: right i don't want him to be down 10 or 11 or 12 i want him to be down nine or eight or seven percent
2: because he's managing and he should do better than the index is that what you're saying
4: right he he has less to catch up from on, on the on the way up again um, and that, that is better over the long term. It, 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 that actually puts him
2: ahead. What about risk that, you know, it's such a competitive world today, and there's such a, again, demand for this manager to do well. What about the idea behind the performance that's generated by a manager who looks like if you look at the number, you just say, hey, he's doing great, but he's taking an enormous amount of risk with the client's money for a short period of time, because he needs to look good, and that's a problem. How do you manage that?
4: Well, I mean, we would manage that by trying to avoid those types of managers in terms of, and where that really comes in is, where the, the most common way that happens is if you get a portfolio that's too concentrated. If you have a manager that only has five or six or seven or eight really you know, core ideas, and then they're putting... 15 or 17 or whatever percent of their fund into just one stock. That's too much, um, especially if you don't have a whole lot of other stocks in the portfolio. That's the kind of thing we would really want to avoid. We want to have we want to have diversification in terms of the kinds of funds that we use in the portfolio, but we also want the funds themselves to be diversified internally.
2: So I think, Scott, what he's saying, I think the beauty of it is we talked initially, how do I allocate... Stocks, bonds, of cash. Then he says allocation, and you and I were just thinking allocation, okay, we, buy, don't, we don't all buy the same manager. We, you said Ecclesiastes 11, you know, diversify seven or eight times. That's, that's a time-tested biblical principle. But, you know, Drew takes it even deeper. He's saying I want a fund manager that's also diversified, not hung up in one or two, but staying even further than that.
3: And I think you look at things like risk-adjusted performance because it's not just performance, it's like how are they getting that performance? That's where you start to look, you know, look at some of those things like sharp ratios and alpha. How what are they what are they doing to get that performance? As Drew said, are they just concentrating in what happens to have done well? Over the last short period, or are they are they getting good risk-adjusted returns? So oh, I think guys. that's what we look at.
2: I think that is so critical. That is so important. And I think it, if I was listening to it, I'd say that makes sense. It helps me understand. When we come back, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, I want to understand the idea behind investor behavior. We all get caught up in the media. It is so hard not to. And I mean, you turn on the television, and this is going on. This is going on. And, and you don't know, think, oh, or you look at your 401k plan, and it's dropped ten percent or fifteen percent. How do we manage that? How do we manage the media? That's the question these guys are going to help us answer when we come back. I'm Jim Shoemaker, and you're listening to Talk Money
1: podcasts for talk money are available for ios mobile devices in the itunes store just search shoemaker financial we'll be right back with talk money
0: after this financial advisors do not provide specific tax or legal advice and this information should not be considered as such you should always consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your own specific tax or legal situation and now back to talk money with your host jim shoemaker
2: Well, when we started the program, I talked about the question that so many people have, and I understand the question, should I be stressed out about this recession talk that's going on in the media? And I asked Drew to kind of give us, go back and look at 2008 and give us his opinion of what thoughts are there. You know, there's a positive side to 2008. It's amazing that even though we think about it and we get nervous about it and it's a dreaded thing, we did learn something that was extremely important, that is, Even though in 2009, as bad as it was, and had been the market at an all-time low, then all of a sudden, we do see it. That is, now we've been in a 10-year expansion, a 10-year bull market, and everything has come back and has exceeded and now doing better than it did prior to 2008 and 2009. So that's something we've learned. But guess what? We still have... The big E word. It's called emotions. There's just no way around it. There's two big ones: fear and greed. And Scott, I want to talk to you about that because managing investment behavior, the way we look at how we manage in our own thoughts and the, the listening to the media, after you have developed it, developed the investment strategy that you put in place. It's still very difficult.
3: Absolutely. I would say that managing emotions is the most difficult part of investing, hands down. It's where I see people make the most mistakes. It's not that they picked the wrong investments or it they, they didn't get started early enough necessarily, it's that they, they make bad decisions during emotional times. Um, you know, I quote Peter Lynch here. He says, whatever method you use to pick stocks or mutual funds, your ultimate success or failure will depend on your ability to ignore the worries of the world long enough to allow your investments to succeed. It's your behavior after selecting those investments that's going to make all the difference.
2: I think that is so critical for people to understand. And and behavior, when you go through these corrections or bear markets, they're just a common part of the investment portfolio. It's going to happen. As you said earlier, I said somebody, we were talking about 10 to 11 times in a person's lifetime, and you got to plan for it. You got to expect it. Don't get caught. If we talk about, well, recession is, should I be stressing out? A recession is coming. It's coming. We just don't know when. If I told you earlier, if I could <laughs> do it, I wouldn't be doing radio today. So we don't know. It is just the natural phenomenon that ebb in the flow of the economics and finance and and, in the market so if we understand that don't let your emotions get caught up in what you're doing let me ask you this guys because there's this last thing called following the herd right what do you think about that
4: it is the worst thing you can do. When we talk about following the herd, we mean doing what the herd is doing because the herd is doing it. Most of us, we were kids. We had to do fire drills, tornado drills, earthquake drills in our schools because if you didn't have an orderly process to handle those things, people were going to get hurt. Maybe people were going to get killed. Um, your first instinct when you see a bunch of people running and screaming out of a crowded theater should not be to run for the crowd. Um That's that's not rational, unless you're emergency personnel, of course.
2: So basically Um, you're saying stay with your strategy. Stay
4: with your strategy and have a plan. Do your own fire drills, if I may put it that way, with your own portfolio. If this happens, can I handle it? Constantly be going through those scenarios in your head. Constantly be talking with your advisor about that. Making sure that you are prepared so that you can handle it in an orderly fashion. Uh, panic is what happens when you don't have a plan.
2: Well, Drew, you're talking about following the herd, but this has been so powerful. You guys have done a phenomenal job, and so if I was listening, I'd say probably I shouldn't be stressing out. How would you summarize for us, real quick? And you just got about thirty seconds. How would you summarize?
4: Well, I, I, I would say that ultimately, if you if you thought through the plan in advance and you've and you're you're comfortable with it in advance, then you ought to be okay sticking with that for. For the future,
2: So don't get caught up in what's going on.
4: Don't get caught up in it. Try and tune it out because you're not going to know five years from now what was going on in October of 2019. <laughs> you're point. not going to remember that. Good
2: point.
3: Jim, I would say I would summarize it by saying, you know, get clear, get clear about what you're trying to accomplish and, and where you stand right now. Get focused on what it takes to accomplish those goals and then get going with that investment strategy or planning strategy and stick with it. Have a discipline process to stick with it. That's what I would say.
2: Now, you said we need to understand allocation. Absolutely. We need to understand diversification. Absolutely. And then the whole idea of rebalancing, we didn't cover that, but that's just making sure that you stay with what you're doing. That's part
3: of that discipline process of, of yearly looking at the portfolio and say, hey, what's done well, what hasn't done, let's sell some of the winners, you know, allocate that to some of the things that haven't done as well. And that's that's just one of those disciplines, Jim, that keeps you focused and keeps that that portfolio aligned with your risk tolerance and what you're trying to do.
2: Well, guys, thank you so much for being a part of today's program. Thank you, Thanks, thanks for you, having Jim. us on. Well, you've been listening, of course, to The Voice, KWAM 990 and FM 107.9. My guests, Scott Jordan and Drew Johnson. And if you would like to talk with them personally, call them at 757-5757. They've done a great job today of helping us understand, should I be stressed out with all the talk about a recession. We hope you've enjoyed today's program. As always, thanks for listening. If you have questions for Talk Money, send them to talkmoney at ShoemakerFinancial.com to find today's program on podcast or past programs. Go to iTunes and search for Shoemaker, Shoemaker Financial, and be sure to like us on Facebook. I'm Jim Shoemaker. Thanks so much for listening. This is Talk Money.
0: Talk Money is produced by Greg Ratliff, guest and content coordination, Francis Fortner, Production assistant, Eleanor Moskovitz. Compliance officer, Tommy Armstrong. Mid-South History Moment, Rebecca Brazier and Drew Johnson. We'll see you next week on Talk Money. Jim Shoemaker, Drew Johnson, and Scott Jordan are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc. Securities dealer, member FNIRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated.